You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, where you will meet entrepreneurs, cultivators, scientists, doctors, and inventors in the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketer and publicist in the cannabis industry. Today we meet Jason Raposa. He's the founder of Goodfeels, a line of cannabis beverages he launched a few years ago in Massachusetts. We talked about his manufacturing operations, his business challenges, and how he is using a hemp version of Goodfeels to build national brand awareness. He's constantly tinkering in his R&D lab to produce the best beverages on the market and is taking his time growing with the industry. Let's meet Jason. But I thought we could get started if you could just give us an overview of Goodfeels um, and what the uh, landscape, the beverage landscape is in Massachusetts. Um, and yeah, just a quick overview before we kind of get into all the questions and things like that. Sure. Uh, yeah. So Goodfeels, uh, we're a cannabis manufacturer. We make all different types of products. We're known for our beverage manufacturing, but we also make enhancers and syrups. So uh, we kind of run the gamut and, you know, we do a little bit of co-packing for special people who like also want to get into the Massachusetts market. But beverages in particular in Massachusetts are a strange beast um, simply because, you know, it's not, it's a few percent of the market. And so beverages, although they do have a role in the Massachusetts market, uh, it's a very limited amount of uh, volume that you're really driving. So we're not talking about like, uh, you know, Coca-Cola like levels of like manufacturing. We're talking about, you know, we we manufacture a few pallets occasionally and like we just sell through those and we make a little bit more. But since it's such a small segment of the market, um, you know, people get really excited about it. But it's it just it's a t- it's a long term play with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. So I I didn't realize realize it was that slow of a trickle into the into the marketplace as far as Yeah, I think a lot yeah, a lot of people need to be aware of that as they're coming to the market. It's it's not this panacea all of a sudden, oh my god, everybody's drinking it now. And yes, it obviously has a lot of benefits and a lot of people have uh tried them as well as some people who would typically would smoke would also consume these as well. Or sometimes if they still smoke, they'll also still consume them. So it's a great format, right? Just drinking things. It just feels good. Yeah. And so from, from our perspective, we just see this as a long-term play. Uh, whereas right now, I think a lot of people are like, you know, a lot of this stuff is kind of already passed a little bit where originally people were like, there's a lot of money in, in cannabis. Let's go. Um, and even to a certain extent, I had that fever a little bit when I started too, as my own fault, which is being like, Hey, there's a lot of money in here. Let me just go figure this out. Yeah. And, you know, it turned out that drinks are a thing. It's just, you know, there's only a certain amount of drinks being sold on a monthly basis. I think it's $1.5 million in total. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is some seasonality. And so we've had a couple of discussions recently about our drinks to a certain, you know, uh, dispensaries that we always work with just because we've got a really good group of dispensary partners and they always say about the drinks, Oh, catch us next spring. Uh-huh. They're just not going to move right now. Like just in the spring, right? Like just come back oh, to us later. So it's like, thirsty. yeah, right. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't believe that fully, but they know their store better than anybody. So they're going to see the point of sale data that says many people are just not buying as many drinks right so they'll keep some in stock but they're just not going to keep it in stock uh they're not going to restock until probably like springtime and i you know i know i should know this but is there anywhere any state in the united Mm -hmm. states that can can sell e-com 
within their state? Like, could you sell off of your website? Uh, yes, I mean that exists in a in a way in Massachusetts as well, and so you can technically, you know, purchase. Um, you know, it's not fully e-commerce, uh, although there might be a solution for this. I just haven't th- I haven't heard of it yet. Uh, but you can basically say like, hey, I'm going to go and pick this up or I'm going to get it delivered. But the transaction usually ha- happens at the point of sale when you're there. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if there's actually is that is that fully 100 percent true? You know, to be honest, I'm not even I'm not even sure there might be a um, there might be a solution already out there that you can actually purchase it directly online and then go pick it up or get it delivered. But I know on the delivery side, you you don't hand the product over until they have actually like the exchanges happen. And usually it happens in person. It doesn't happen like on a transaction online. And that has a lot to do with obviously the credit card manufacturers as well. Right. And because you're a manufacturer, you can't sell you know, if it were- Oh, as far as we're concerned, yeah, yeah, we can't sell direct to consumer uh, unless we're entering uh, the hemp space. And what I know in Massachusetts that your, um, or I believe your delivery uh, system um, has warehouses, they can also, Mm -hmm. right? So is that- Yeah, that was something. Because- Yeah, that's something that they fought for. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the delivery operators fought for this. And I was obviously a supporter. I signed my signature along with everybody else to say, like, this should be a thing. Because before it was a, cur- a courier service. Basically, it was like DoorDash versus doing like an Amazon FBA where it just products get warehoused, right? Or I guess DoorDash versus like um, uh, uh, GoPuff. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So that's GoPuff's model. Like they them. actually warehouse everything themselves and they just do deliveries directly from their warehouse. And they're not just like a DoorDash driver picking up stuff on their way. So yeah, that was actually a, a great, a great win for the delivery operators. But beyond that, like that one uh is a way of going direct to consumer for us in a sense, because we can say, hey, if you want to buy it now, click on this button, and then you know, one of our partners like Rolling Relief or Delivered Inc. or whatever will go and they'll actually like uh, you know, you can click on their website and it gets delivered direct to their door. Oh, okay. So that 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 is something that you're working on as far mm-hmm. as um, yeah, yeah, we've developed some technology around that ourselves. I'm a technology guy, so like I'll just hack around some of these things. And so we were able to d- embed like the delivered ink menu onto our website, for instance, which uh, is a delivery operator. Okay. And um, now as far as um, hemp drinks um, as a business strategy, um, I know you mentioned um, previously when we spoke that you uh, do have a white label hemp based version of your mm-hmm. product as a strategy to build brand awareness on a national level. So what 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 is that hemp drink and how how is that working for you as far as building brand? And are you really even putting a lot of marketing muscle into that? Yeah, th- I mean, those are all great questions. So our drinks are a uh, basically the same drinks we have in Massachusetts, but where we produced it outside of the outside of Massachusetts because Massachusetts uh, we already have a presence here. Yeah. So as far as like the marketing of it, kind of it's the wild west again. Um, you know, I it's crazy. Like I know some of the stats and some of these companies how much money they're making, and for us, we're taking it very slow. Uh, we're not trying to like go, you know, spend millions of dollars overnight because, you know, cash flow, capital constraints, things like that, because there's inventory to purchase. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a slow kind of long-term game, which is what we're all about anyways. But, you know, you see some of these numbers that are coming out there, people making significant millions of dollars, you know, there are other brands out there that, you know, for instance, can, um, who is a, uh, a drink, uh, you know, a, a asset light drink, meaning that they don't actually own any of the manufacturing. 
I think they are targeted to do. I heard twenty six, but I just read thirty six million dollars this year, they and see. more than half of their revenue came from hemp. So you think it's a small thing, but it's not. And I actually know of another company who I just saw an ad on YouTube for YouTube pre roll ad for a hemp company, and they make over a hundred million dollars a year. And I know that with some confidence because I know some of the inside details on this stuff. So there's not there's a lot of money being made out outside of the can- licensed cannabis industry, which again, I am in the licensed cannabis industry, but we also do have this hemp drink that's on market uh, in the market as well. Is that like or a- soon to be soon to be in market, actually, I should say. Oh, it's soon to be in market. Okay. So you're really just starting off on that that foot. Exactly. That's what I was saying. We're we're it's like even just purchasing the inventory where there are cash constraints in the Massachusetts market with our accounts pay uh, receivables. Like our receivables are a nightmare sometimes. And everybody in cannabis will tell you that. It's just like dispensaries, they sell the product. And I know they have their own things going on. Of course, they sell all the product. We say, hey, time for a reorder and also pay your bill. And it's like, they'll take the reorder, but sometimes they'll take a lot longer to pay that bill. And we have one customer that's 190 days overdue at this point or something like that. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Yeah, no, I've been reading about that. It's terrible. So is this is this hemp drink product a D9, D8 product or? It's a D9, uh, yes. And so we use the isolation, uh, you know, so there's a lot of different ways you can create a proper D9 drink. And you obviously have to be, really uh you your partner has to be really trustworthy and so you know we vetted our partners with this stuff and we're actually looking at a few other partners as well across the country just to make it more efficient because in the national scale now you're talking about shipping water right and shipping water is expensive and so we're going to try to find producer partners in the northeast producer partner in the south producer partner in the uh the northwest most likely as well uh or even central-ish thinking about minnesota still um we'll see if we ever go to the minnesota market i'm not sure yet so well, yeah, and also like you said, it's it's just a slow it's a slow build with the beverage industry in general, um, and and also um, it's going to be who knows how long it's going to be before we have interstate commerce and you can start shipping you know your THC. So you're yeah. right, you have a there's no rush really right now. Yeah, exactly. I know if I I'm based in New York City, if I was producing a beverage in the New York area, I would focus on putting my hemp. Uh, derived beverages to build brand awareness in the tri-state area because everybody travels constantly between these you know states that would make sense to me yeah how are you about that yeah so new york is new york is off limits right now for us uh so there is there are it's a a state-by-state thing new york just passed the ocm just passed this rule that basically says you can only have up to one milligram thc per serving um and on the on the hemp side specifically, and so we're we're a low dose drink, right? So we our original products were three milligrams, so we're not that far off. We could definitely make a one milligram THC drink, uh, and then you have to have a fifteen to one ratio of other cannabinoids, and so you'd have to have like fifteen milligrams of CBD to one milligram THC. So there's a, others there's extra little things that they added in here, basically to destroy uh, this whole this whole situation to protect the licensed cannabis market. And I understand kind of what their heart is because the OCM actually manages both hemp and cannabis, which I didn't realize until recently. So, you know, what they've what they've done is basically effectively destroy the hemp beverages in the New York market. Um, mm-hmm. But with that said, because we've had 
we've had many discussions with producer partners as well as uh, distributors in New York. And we were talking to one uh, recently that was ready to go. And then all of a sudden that ruling came down on like a Friday or two ago. Mm -hmm. So, but the long story short is yes, national presence. It's great to get your brand out there. That's important thing for me because, you know, I started this company with a vision of at one day I'm going to have my drinks. And I've said this in podcasts two years ago, basically one day in the future, my drinks will be on a bar in Brooklyn. Because mm-hmm. I'm actually, I, I was in Brooklyn. I was in New York City for about 13 years. And a lot of those years were spent in Brooklyn. The last mm-hmm. 11 or so were in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And I imagine my old haunts back in Brooklyn, those old, you know, bars that I used to always go to. And I could just see my drink on that counter. And I'm oh. just thinking to myself, it'll get there. It'll get there. Mm-hmm. And guess what? It got there way faster than we thought we were going to get there. Because we're, you know, people have already asked us to provide kegs to them. You know, oh. so not even not even finished like RTD ready to drink beverages, but actually like literally like kegs of our drinks to go into bars and restaurants on premise, and very exciting. Um, but you know, so it's already there in some states. New York unfortunately just flipped the switch back on me, so I'm gonna have to wait to you know finish that dream off. Mm-hmm. But there's a bunch of other states out there, including Minnesota, that you can sell even on premise. Yeah, I know Minnesota seems so exciting for for the beverage industry. Um, so, um, and also, I don't know if I really see a low THC, you know, two three milligram in a bar. Do you? I guess there's some people who just go in it who really, you know, this is kind of like the non non alcoholic drinker generation yep. coming up. So maybe I'm wrong, but anyway. No, it it totally is because there's supposed to be sessional experiences, and if you don't want to consume alcohol. Your only option right now is, well, there's better options without a doubt now, such as, you know, athletic brew, which is what I go, my go-to is probably an athletic brew if, you know, if, if I can get one and then I'll just infuse it with my own drops because I also make enhancers. And so it's very easy for me to just like add in THC and CBD, whatever I want to. And, um, and, you know, so that's a great portable format to, you know, be on the go. But as far as bars are concerned, absolutely. Like, I don't want to be the wallflower. I don't necessarily like I'm going to this, you know, it is a social lubricant in a sense, because you have cannabinoid combinations, you know, depending on how you put them together, depending if you're putting a terpene profiles into it. There's a lot of things you can do with cannabis to create a really great effect for a lot of people that will keep them like social and engaging and fun, but it's not alcohol. Right. And so there is a model for that. There is a business behind that. It's, you know, but it's going to take a little bit to get there because everybody's just trying to figure out like how to get these drinks in different places right now, never mind all the different combinations and flavorings and all this other stuff you can put together. Right. So as far as manufacturing, what's the trickiest part of manufacturing a cannabis beverage? Uh, well, back in the day, it was, say, like three years ago, it was the, um, no, actually not even, there's a few different things. So can liners, there's still like a little bit of issues around can liners. Mm-hmm. So if you've heard of the can liner issue, that's one of the biggest problems. So uh, one of the one of the hardest parts in the very beginning was around can liners, and it's gotten better, but basically can liners, you, you know, people think, oh, I'm drinking out of an aluminum can. Well, there's really plastic inside, right? And so since it's lined with plastic and cannabis oil is an oil and plastic's petroleum-based, it links it together. And so there's better liners out there and there's more coming out. Actually, I know a company that's actually producing a really great can liner soon that's supposed to have no what's called scalping. Um, in that case, that will be a dream come true for a lot of cans because a lot of the cannabis companies, when they first started, 
you know, they put all this THC into this drink. Six months later, there's like nothing left because it's all in the can liner. So when you're drinking it, people are like, I'm not getting high anymore, you know? Um, so that was one issue. Oh, wow. uh, That's awful. Yeah. Imagine that you spend all this money on this drinks and six months later, it doesn't exist. You know, there's no cannabis left in it. Then, um, you know, there's typical supply chain stuff. Getting cans at some point was really difficult. Uh, it's gotten much better now. Getting, you know, those XO lids has been problematic in the past, like supply standard supply chain stuff that you kind of see all around. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it comes down to like who you are working with in the manufacturing side. So everything we do on manufacturing has to be like super high quality. Everything we put out has, it's going to have the stamp of approval of good feels like everything, whether it's co-packing for somebody else or even our own products, we treat them the same. And we want to make sure that we put everything out super, super high quality. So from our perspective, we want that in our producer partner ourselves. And so when we actually were looking for different producer partners, we found an operation in Texas that we really, really liked. And we were like, these guys know what's going on. They know what they're doing. We worked eight different iterations in our formulation and we got it really, really great. So it tasted fantastic. And so from our perspective, it's all about high quality. And so part of the manufacturing issues that you find a lot, especially with co-packers is they don't care. They don't care nearly as you, which is to be, you know, it's always a thing. People always say it like, they don't, no one's going to care as much as you do. But at the same time, you've got to find somebody that you trust, that you believe in their process, as well as they produce really just high quality stuff. That is 100% what it comes down to. I would not trust my brand with anybody unless they could always deliver high quality stuff. Right. This is what you hear brand owners talking about all the time that are trying to expand and um, develop partnerships, uh, manufacturing, manufacturing partnerships. What happens when interstate commerce happens? President's doing in the in the polls. Right. So what? Ha uh, so yes, absolutely expansion. We have a forty five hundred square foot expansion that we're working on right now. So that expansion is going to house our a lot of our co packing opportunities as well as well as our own brands. And so we have we're working with a few different people right now uh, in the kind of like almost like a joint venture to be able to put together like a really great, you know, state of the art canning uh, line into this new expansion. And then a bunch of, you know, full commercial kitchen, yada, yada, yada. So 4,500 square feet uh, in this in this existing building. And so it's just like, you know, next door as an expansion kind of thing. So it's really clean as far as the regular regulation side goes. We just have to add a security and a couple extra features and we kind of kind of just start building. But that would eventually house, if it does go federally legal, then yes, that would house probably our manufacturing for the national brand as well. Right. With that said, you know, who knows by that point when federal legality happens, maybe our hemp companies bigger than our cannabis company. And then at that point, you know, we'll still use asset like, you know, we'll be co-packing across, you know, the, the different states. So I'm sorry, I'm mixing these two things up in my mind too. So as far as your expansion plans right now without interstate commerce, are you talking to people uh, or? Uh, not on the licensed cannabis side. I, you know, I get, so every, every day, literally every single day, day i get an email about hey can you co-pack for us mm -hmm. hey do you want to come into this state right mm -hmm. i had somebody from uh, minnesota or michigan in the licensed cannabis market say hey can if you bring us in we'll bring you in right oh. um i get so many offers and opportunities to go into other states but it 
is not a great strategy, at least for us, because we're fiscally responsible, right? If you try to go into a new state and you don't have the money to support boots on the ground, literally people going into the stores, promoting your product, saying like, hey, we're good feels, you're going to fail. I have seen so many brands come into Massachusetts because Massachusetts is still very lucrative. I don't think people realize this. As much as my my receivables, I I you know I complain about receivables. It is a very lucrative uh, uh, state to be in still. And I don't. I've seen so many brands come in here as a flash in the pan. They just come in, they set up shop, they say, "Hey, it's going to sell itself." It does not sell itself. You still need to support this, whether uh, in sales, but also in marketing. Like you have to be there. If you're not there in store promoting this thing, the dispensaries also don't want you either because they want you to help sell your product as well. They don't yeah. want it just to be on their their shoulders and their butt tender shoulders. That's right. They're not there to to um, to scale your brand. They're there to sell your brand. I mean, that you know, that's yeah, that's crazy. And plus, I guess I, you also answered the question by saying that you're going down the hemp road to build national brand awareness, exactly, which, which is easier to do. Yes. Right. There's the bifurcation in the market, and so for us, it's like hemp is easy. We can do e-commerce D2C, which we already talked a little bit about, but as a real like D2C relationship where I get to own the consumer. Where yeah. I, right now I don't own any of the consumers. They buy from the dispensaries. I don't know who even who these half these people are. Actually, I don't know ninety nine percent of these people. I only know the people who'd say, "Hey, I love your products," and they write reviews yeah. and stuff like that. I know those people. But other than that, I have no relationships with a lot of these people. You know, outside of Instagram and stuff like that. Yeah. But on the on the national side of the hemp side. Now we have access to all these people. We have first party data, which is extremely important in marketing because now I can remarket to these people. Now I can do targeted ads. I can do lookalikes. I can do all these wonderful things that right now I'm currently handcuffed in Massachusetts with. Right, 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 right. Okay, perfect. Um, So what about... the the debate the big debate now on uh, THC um, levels for beverages. I know you're low dose, so maybe you think that's a, a good way to go. And why do you think? Why did you choose low dose? I mean, maybe that's your restriction. You're at the highest restriction in Massachusetts, but do you think that's the way anyway as far as a beverage to go? Uh, no, there's all form factors for everybody. I feel like I so because I I the reason why I created the beverages the way I created them is because I literally wanted them for myself. Sure. I had an itch to scratch and I scratched it. Mm-hmm. Five milligrams. I actually remember I started with three milligrams because three milligrams, I could have like three, four, five of those in a night and I'd feel fantastic. Right. Five milligrams, I can I can have personally like two or three. You know what I mean? Before I'm like, all right, I'm getting a little bit too high right now. Um, and you know, with tolerance, some people have different tolerances, some people are more adaptable. And you know, eventually I can imagine myself if I was consistently drinking two or three a day. I, <laughs> excuse me. If I was consistently drinking two or three a day, I would probably have four or five, you know, a month or two later, I'd be like, actually, I kind of need four or five. It's just, it's very similar to alcohol tolerance in that sense. If you're drinking consistently every weekend, your tolerance is going to go up. If you're not, and you haven't touched it in a while, a three milligram beverage, five milligram beverage might hit you in a way that you don't realize. And so I have always been a proponent proponent of low dose, whether that's just to drive cons- new consumers into these dispensaries or new consumers into cannabis in general to see all the, me- you know, I say medical, but I can't use the word really medical, but all the benefits I'll say yeah. of cannabis. But there's also people who come to me and say, I just wish I had a little bit more because I need 25 milligrams to feel anything, right? Mm-hmm. I need, I, I, you know, if I eat a brownie, I make my own brownies. You know, my brownies are like 200 milligrams each and I'll have like a half, half of them, you know, before bed. 
cool. There are definitely people out there and we actually serve those people as well with our high dose syrups. So like we're very much into both worlds. We actually just released those. Um, have not made a lot of announcements on LinkedIn about all the new stuff we're doing. I don't know when it's appropriate to do st stuff like that, but nobody actually has even heard, especially on LinkedIn, about our new hemp beverages either. So like a lot of the stuff is kind of like brand new. And so I'm still, you know, I'll figure out where that fits into, into the, the marketing set of LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Eventually you'll hear more about it though. Somehow I did hear about it. I and and that's when I thought, oh, oh wow, that's great. The uh, oh, I think it was in your newsletter. I saw that you announced it, right? That the uh, the high dose one. Yeah, the high dose beverage yeah. enhancer, which is kind of one of my favorite uh, coming soon or you know com coming up in the market uh, consumption uh, form factor that I really mm -hmm. like between the powders and the enhancers. I think are really great. Mm -hmm. um, so. Um, so so basically okay so the 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 so the levels in Massachusetts the uh top limit level, is 5 oh i thought it was 10 okay no most is states it 10 are, it's 10 it's 5 10 in edibles is it 10 for no, edibles 5 oh 5 okay all you. mips are 5 and so if you if you if you you know a 20 pack of gummies you know, it's a limited limited to 100 also makes in total for a package. Yeah. So it's usually the math is five times 20. Um, you know, you can, it doesn't have to be, it could be like one times 100 if you want it to be. I think there's like a little candy out there that's like a one milligram candy, uh, Joy Bombs, I think they're called. Um, and it's like one times 100, right? So you could have a pack of 100 candies. So how are you selling your high dose in the state if it's only a... Mm. So, well, that's 500 milligrams, uh -huh. right? So that blows everything out of the water because that is, uh, it's a tincture. So it's a very specific format, right? In a tincture format, you technically have a five, I believe there still is a five milligram limit on those. However, you actually have up to 5,000 grams or 5,000, sorry, milligrams of, of, of tincture to get to your allotment. However, the max for a tincture is technically 500 milligrams, whereas an edible is, because it's considered a concentrate okay. uh, versus uh, an edible, which has a cap of 100 milligrams. And we were very intentional with our design because we do truly want to make this a real tincture versus, you know, if you see what, you know, people are passing off tinctures now in the market and they don't look like tinctures. So like we were very intentional with the purpose of the way we created ours to make sure that we were very much above board with all the regulations to make sure we truly are creating a tincture. Well, a tincture is you take orally, sublingually, right? But you're but the what you're talking about the beverage enhancer is not a tincture. But is that what you're saying? People. Oh yeah. So our traditional beverage enhancer is under the edible category, and we actually do cap that at 100 milligrams. However, the Good Vibes product, the new product we just launched, is a water-based tincture, right? And so we're calling it a syrup just because marketing people are going to start. People are already starting to search for syrups. We've had this product yeah. for at least. 10 months, maybe even a year at this point, probably it was around this time last year, we had developed this product. We just put it on hold for a really long time because our beverage enhancers that limited our hundred milligrams are selling so well. And then what ended up happening was 
people kept on coming back to us and said, we love your beverage enhancer, but you just need more. And so as we started to understand the consumer segment more, we just noticed that there was another bifurcation, another separation in the market that said, there's plenty of people who love our low dose kind of beverage enhancer. And they like, like they added, they like the added CBD, they like the flavors we have, but then there's a whole new group of people out there that we're not targeting, which want more THC. And so under the tincture rules, then yes, because you can take this straight in your mouth, right? Our beverage enhancer is meant to go into a drink. Our tincture, our good vibes tincture, you can take it straight, do it sublingually, drink, you know, like that way, ingest it that way. But you can also, it, since it's water-based, you can also put it into a drink as well. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. That's right. So I, that's what I was wondering also, because mm -hmm. right, what you take sublingually versus what you could put into a drink doesn't mm -hmm. always mix. This does both, right? Yeah. So you could do both with this one. Okay. Our beverage enhancer, I don't typically recommend people take it straight because it's going to taste like a sour gummy. Um, mm -hmm. Because of this particular technology, it's really, really great technology. But with that technology, it does produce some off flavors, which we have to cover up and mask with flavor masking. And so therefore, we have to add a little bit of you know citric acid, like so, uh, extra little things in it to make it more palatable in a drink. So if you were to take it straight, it tastes more like a sour gummy than anything. So it's not, it's not awful. It's just some people don't want sour gummies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what about, um, so are, is, are all your infused beverages distillate only, or I know I've seen you online talking about the different, you know, cannabinoid ratios mm -hmm. that and things like that. So how, how are your products made? Yeah. I mean, we have a full R and D like lab here basically. Right. So we, are, are always developing new formulations. Whether we release them is a different story. Today, yes, we are only making distillate-based um, uh, products. And the reason why is because in order to dial in this flavor specifically, in a lot of surveys we've done, people don't like the taste of weed in their drinks. And mm -hmm. so uh, the majority, and I know there's obviously going to be people who do, which I actually prefer it. Uh, I actually really like the taste of weed. But there's many people in our customer segment that are just coming in and they don't necessarily want to be reminded of the plant. They just want to have fun. And so we're very much just like, all right, so we have to have a really high percentage THC. And when we're shopping around for distillate, which we're often doing because we're blowing through product right now, especially with this new launch, um, we always required 90% plus. Like it has to be 90% plus THC. And then the tack usually falls around like 92 to 94%. So it's basically or nearly 100% cannabinoids at that point, right? So it's like the highest, highest, highest test you can get. And our Good Vibes product, it's not as aggressive, but we still target, we try to target 88 to like 90%, 85%, you know, depending on pricing, we probably go to. And that will include a lot of the other cannabinoids as well. So, you know, more of like a full spectrum product at that point, there'll definitely be some CBG, CBD, and C some, some CBN, potentially in there, even some THCV sneaks its way in there. But for the most part, future, absolutely. We love cannabis. We love cannabinoids. We are a giant plant fan. So <laughs> I make formulations all the time for people. And somebody just requested another formulation today of the, the new pain medic, uh, medication. I can't say that word. The okay. new pain kind of thing relief that I, I put together for my mom, somebody actually just reached out to me and said like, Hey, I would love it. I would love some of that for myself. Cause I'm going to have surgery too. So, and that blend is 10 uh, per dropper. It's 10 milligrams, THC, 10 milligrams. Oh no, no, no THC, 10 milligrams, CBD, 10 milligrams, CBG, 10 milligrams, CBN, 10 milligrams, CBC. 
So like this is a blend that as we start to learn more about the plant and the more about the individual cannabinoids, as these things come out, like CBG is great at unlocking things. Um, how, uh, THC is really the great unlock in my opinion though. Like if you just add a little bit of THC to things, it's just going to make everything better. And then the CBC is another um, a great unlocker as well. And it potentiates almost like the effects of the other ones too. So it's like everything is just like elevating the CBD and the CBN and the CBN having analgesic properties, pain relief properties that helps the relief. And so like in CBD relaxation, like all these things are playing together harmoniously. And I get really excited about different formulations that we've put together because we've got energy, we've got relax, we've got all these wonderful, you know, restore, rocket fuel, like all these fun names we've put together for these things. Flower power is a new one that we're oh. looking at right now. Like there's just fun, like we just put these things together because we generally just love and enjoy A, building awesome products, but B, the plant most importantly. Yeah. And so are you working with a bunch of isolates in your lab? Is that, is that what you're doing? Primarily? Yeah. So we're, so, you know, we're taking it from that more of a, and I hate to use the word pharma in this sense, but kind of like a pharmaceutical pr approach where we're, we're isolating individual components and recreating the plant versus like taking something that, um, you know, one specific strain that has those properties and doing that. We have considered doing the stuff like that. We have technology to do that as well. But the problem with that is to get that consistent strain over and over and over again with that same cannabinoid profile is just it's way too much of a risk for our business right now we just we can't create a new product and say hey this is gonna you know for the next 20 years this product's gonna exist in the market because we don't know if we're gonna get that same cannabis pro cannabinoid profile terpene profile from those strains year yes. to year even with cloning there's a little divergence occasionally so it's like i we haven't made that bet just yet um so we're basically recreating the plant in our own way and also going back to the distillate um, in your products, it seems like as a business owner that uh, starting out in the market with the di distillate gives you better profit margins um, in your manufacturing mm -hmm. and that until the the um, consumer gets more knowledgeable and uh, becomes more of a connoisseur of the plant and all its benefits, that why waste money putting in all these cannabinoids and these mixtures and these strains? Mm -hmm. Right. Is that kind of the thought, I guess? Right. Uh, now? Yes. There, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Because there's like we education, especially like our beverage enhancer education, like a drink, you crack it open, you drink it. Super simple. I know a beverage enhancer. You have to like educate people like, oh, don't don't put it sublingually. It's not going to taste good. Put it in a drink first. Then you stir it or some, you know, depending on the technology, you don't have to stir it and then you consume it and then whatever. So there's a lot more education with the beverage enhancer. So if we were to then compound that education with like, now you have to understand terpenes I or know. now you have to understand all these other cannabinoids and how they're going to benefit you. It's and, crazy. you know, it's uh we're just not that we're just not that cap, you know, the capital to be able to pull that something like that off is just not there in the market. And, right. So, yeah. And it's over. why fight that uphill up. Yeah. It's why fight that uphill battle of trying right. to convince everybody this is good for you when like they'll, they'll, everybody, they're going to get there. It's just, it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. You're well, your consumer. So you don't really have any data or anything on your consumer, what they like, what they don't like. Is there anything you do? You do, but okay. not, not a ton. It's not as much as we would like. Right. So on the, on the licensed cannabis side, we, we've surveyed, well over 500 people at this point on all our different products. So we do have first party data in that sense about like 
you know, flavor profiles, like even our original flavors, we surveyed 50 to 100 people, even our first round of flavors. And we had started with like, internally, we had started like 40 something flavors. We narrowed it down to like five. And then we had, you know, an audience to choose from like those five. We used to throw parties in my house, just saying like, hey, try all these flavors and see what you, you know, have a survey. And we've, you know, we've surveyed so many people, including the good vibes, right? The good vibes came as a product of surveying because they were literally like, I need a high dose version, right? And um, and beyond that, even the flavor profiles came from surveys. The format came from a survey. A lot of people, a lot of the syrups out there, there's like an eight ounce syrup on the market right now. But that it like a it's like a maple syrup bottle. Literally, it's like a giant bottle. And with a giant bottle, it's not portable. Like, yeah, you can keep it in your kitchen counter. You know what I mean? But like, you can't just stuff it in your pocket and like walk around with it, right? And with ours, we chose to use a one ounce bottle, right? And so it's very portable. It's very easy to get to. And then measuring was super hard too. Measuring some of these syrups, you go glug, 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 glug. And you're like, I don't know how much is in there, right? And people get, somebody had a really bad experience. They had told me about it. They were like, hey, I didn't know how much I was putting in, but I thought it was around like 20, 25 milligrams, but it was way more. And I was just like incapacitated the rest of the night. Right. And I don't want to do that to people. So we actually include a dropper with with actual measurements on it that you can actually precisely dose how much cannabis you're getting. Oh, great. That's great. Yeah. Because, okay. Right. Is, does that have to do with because um, do you have to shake it before you use it? Like do things and, and you might get more in a dose? I mean, besides not knowing. No. How much is it? It's no. homogenous. Um, however, we always say shake anyway. It's just because yeah. and people take tinctures and they shake them all the time. So yeah. it's yeah. just going to be a thing. Um, yeah. But yeah. no, uh, all of our technology is fully homogenized. And so like there's technically should not have any separation even after a year. Uh, and we've we've tested all of our products pretty extensively at this point. And we've been in market for like over, you know two years now. So, um, but I will say that the um, we did have original issues maybe like in the very beginning, but those have basically all been sorted out at this point. But now as we kind of continue, continue to evolve, the measurement is really just there as a, as a way to control your dose. So um, just to wrap it up, I'm thinking um, on a national level, I'm sure uh, as a brand owner, you're always looking at the competition and um, people around you. Well, first one, is there other, are there other beverages in uh, Massachusetts market that you're competing against? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we don't, we're like frenemies, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, I don't mean like, like no, yeah. I'm just wondering who else is there. Yeah, I, I don't mean, yeah. Yeah, so there's uh, Levia's here. They got purchased by AIR, um, uh, which is uh, an MSO. They operate in a bunch of states, but they were one of the big success stories. They were the first ones to launch really like big. Um, there was another product that already existed in the market before them called SIP from our friends at Comcan. But uh, so there's Sip from Comcan, then Levia came out, then Cantrip and Theory came out around the same time. Uh, so there, uh, Theory has a product called High Five. Uh, they're like a they're like a craft MSO themselves. So they're in multiple states, but they're like you know they're a very lean kind of company in that sense where they you know they're more craft than anything. What's the company called? Theory Wellness. Oh, Theory, yes, yeah, from uh, yeah, like theory. the Vermont area or something, right? Yeah, they have. I they they're also obviously in Massachusetts, and I think oh, they yes. just have some New Jersey thing happening right now, or a New York thing. I can't remember. I I haven't talked to them in a minute, but they have you know, and they've they've got this new you know store that they're launching. Actually, that's gonna be very exciting for beverages, um, in Medford, and then the and they actually just got on the docket for the agenda. Actually, in December, they we just got an email from them that were they're ready to go to make a purchase. So mm -hmm. even though, and that's the thing, it's like they have their own drink called high five 
and they make an energy version and all these great flavors. We also have a set of drinks, but they buy products from us, right? So we are competing in some cases, but at the same time, they're buying $10,000 almost worth of products from us a month at this point. So it's a fantastic situation in that sense because they realize that, you know, optionality is really important to a consumer, right? It's not just like Uh you only have this one product on a shelf, like, yeah, yeah. But like, what about the other ones? You know what I mean? And so they bring us on and our beverage enhancers specifically in their stores. And we sell tons of these things in theory. If our competitors can buy our products and sell them in their stores, then anybody can sell these things because they're that good. So yes, Theory was uh, around the same time. They launched High Five around the same time as Cantrip. And then a number of other ones have come out since then. Novel company that makes Buzzy and a few other uh, soda kind of type products. Then there's the drinkable company that's in the market right now. Uh, Mahoney, uh, Mark Mahoney, John Mahoney. Those guys are great guys. They uh, make Tiger Tea. Um, John Mahoney is, it, it, you know, he runs like a, not, I don't know if he runs or how the relationship is, but, you know, Atomic uh, Roasters, that's their company. And so they have a cold brew, like a nitro cold brew uh, mm-hmm. that they have, a THC infused cold brew. And then I think Honey Cat from Ben Kennison just came out, which is also, they make a cold brew. So there's a bunch of products that are coming out. But again, we can all play here, but at the same time, it's like, there's, you know, there's not that much revenue being generated if you split it across all these companies, especially Levia being still very much the, the lion's share of the revenue being generated is very much Levia. Mm, okay. Okay. And how about out, out of the Northeast? Um, just looking at, I'm just thinking, you know, Minnesota just seems to be mm-hmm. so exciting and you would want to go there if you're a beverage maker. Um, you know, it seems like a good opportunity, but um, I'm thinking like, you know, just some craft people like you really, you know, who are there, not like these big companies. And do you see a lot of them popping up or are they on your yeah. way? Or just, yeah. Yeah. A couple of those people that I just mentioned. Um, so like Ben used to work at Levia, right? Now he has his own brand called Honeycat, right? So he used, he was with the Air love, you know, the MSO, and then he moved and did his own thing. Okay. Then there's, um, like I said, the Jerkable company, those guys are just, you know, they're entrepreneurs themselves and they kind of came in. They're not an MSO, they're an asset like brand. And so they have operations in Maine and in Massachusetts right now. They're not huge, but at the same time, they make really tasty drinks. Uh, I especially like their tiger tea because I like I like tea. So that was a good one. Um, and then, but you do have some other smaller operators that are doing the asset light. So instead of building their own manufacturing and all that stuff, which I did, which I didn't know what asset light was when I started. I If that was a thing, I might've done the same thing myself. Fortunately, mm-hmm. I didn't though, because I actually, with co-packing, the revenue that we can get from co-packing plus our own products is way outpacing anything I probably could have done asset light in the Massachusetts market. So from my perspective, like I think it's a win-win that we actually ended up going with our own manufacturing plant, but there's a lot of brands coming online right now that are doing asset light and they're coming to us. Oh, Kelia, I forgot about Kelia, Sarah and um, Shrug. Like those guys are really, really great. I, I really definitely like their product as well. So, and they're not carbonated. Um, so they're not like, they're like, they're, you know, there's a lot of carbonated drinks out there. There's like, they're one of the very few companies that actually do like a flat drink. And, um, but so like, you know, there's a lot of really fun brands that are coming out online, but, and a lot of them have asked us to co-pack for them. <laughs> so we'll see kind of like which direction we go with all that stuff in the future for cans and stuff like that. But for the most part, like, 
A lot of interesting things happening in the Massachusetts market, but I I would suggest to anybody listening to this podcast, if you've made it this far, if you are going to make a drink, definitely look at the hemp side before you start looking at the licensed market side, because we are so handcuffed and restricted in what we can do in the Massachusetts market. If I could have started again, I would have started the hemp side. I do actually have a hemp company too. As a side note, I actually now have two hemp companies. Sorry, I probably should have clarified that. So I started with hemp before I went to cannabis. And the reason why I went to cannabis was because I knew I always wanted to make ingestible things. And in hemp rules in Massachusetts, if I'm a Massachusetts manufacturer, I can't make a drink. Mm -hmm. So since it's super restrictive, I went into cannabis to make the drinks. Wait, if you're, but you are a manufacturer. You're saying you can't be a manufacturer. So if you're a hemp company. A processor. Processor? The processor. Yeah, the processor rules in MDAR say you cannot make anything food or drink based, right? Uh, okay. So I went away from the hemp side into the cannabis regulations, which do allow that. Even though it's the same state, there's two different sets of regulations. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good advice. Um, that's, I think that's, uh, that's really good unless you want to add anything to the, uh, to the end, as far as advice you would want to give someone, but I feel like you've given people a lot of great advice. Um, yeah. I mean, I have tons of advice. I mean, <laughs> so I think the, uh, and I'm always willing to help. So, I, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll field a phone call from an entrepreneur who is getting started, whether it's in cannabis or not even. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, I've learned over the last few years of even just being in this industry, even though I'm a successful founder twice over at this point from other companies. Right. So I think, uh, you know, if I was again, if I was entering the cannabis industry today, you have to think about really interesting novel products, but also have a mass market appeal. And then that's almost like a dichotomy in itself, because those are two car, you know, those are two conflicting concepts in a, in a way, but a lot of dispensaries, they have drinks. They don't want any more drinks. Yeah. They told me so. They're like, we we're good. We're good. We, our vault is filled. Like we can't fit anymore, first of all. And second of all, they don't move that fast. Yeah. However, so do something outside of drinks, maybe, uh, you know, other types of MIPS, you know, uh, you know, food and stuff like that. Uh, we get a lot of people looking at us right now for co-packing, all different types of things, which I can't talk about. But, you know, if you are looking as a brand to come in or a new startup coming into this market, talk to me first. And I'll tell you, you know, like the lay of the land of like, if, you know, if you like, hey, I've got a ketchup that I want to release or something like that. Hmm. Well, Ocean Breeze does a catch up, like take a look at them first, right? Like there's just these interesting little things out there, but how much, how many, how much ketchup are you going to consume at a day? You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. it's like, there's things like that you have to think about when you're starting to put products, products together, because now does that have such a mass market appeal? It's more of a novelty in a sense, right? It's just like, Hey, how many times, you know, you know it's just like, how many times can you have an infused ketchup? You buy a pack, it sits in your cabinet or your fridge for about three months. It's true. And then, hey, I ran out and then I'm going to go buy another pack. And like, it's just like a, at that point, if you're doing condiments, I get a little bit like, mm, I don't know if that makes sense. So, but definitely talk to me if you're thinking about doing anything uh, inside of Massachusetts, because I know I'm very well versed in the lay of the land, as well as I have a lot of the connections you probably need. Wow. Thank you so much, Jason. It was so nice to talk to you. It was fantastic. Thanks for listening to today's show. 
To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.